stay tuned at the end of the show for important details about the upcoming podcast awards. Now, welcome to the Best of Left podcast with clips today from Le Show, The Onion Radio News, The Young Turks, Real Time with Bill Maher, The Daily Show, Ring of Fire, The Rachel Maddow Show, and The Colbert Report. Former assistant director of Christian-based sports and adventure camps in Missouri. Hey, I'm in. No, I mean, sounds good, doesn't it? Christian-based sports and adventure camps? Don't you want to sign up? No? Be that way. Anyway, I'm over here for a minute, and now I'm back. Uh, An assistant director, former assistant director of those camps that are popular with Oklahomans, is accused of, well, what do you think? Committing lewd acts with strange boys, teenage boys. Peter Newman is charged in Missouri with second-degree statutory sodom. Well, anyway, he's accused of those things. He worked from 1999 until June for Canacook Camps, Christian-based sports and adventure camps in Branson and Lampy, Missouri, for boys and girls ages 7 to 18. He surrendered to authorities this week. Authorities say he confessed to his sex crimes, sex crimes <laughs> and apologized in an eight-page letter to camp owner Joe White. He reportedly went swimming, played nighttime basketball, and conducted hot tub Bible studies in the nude with an untold number of teenage male campers. He was fired in June. Oh, God, no, just, just the beginning of hot tub Bible study season. He did apologize. He groomed his victims over time by hanging out and meeting their parents and thereby gaining their trust. He also hosted sleepovers and sent letters and emails to teenage boys. He also held nude one-on-one Bible study sessions in his home, hot tub, where the sexual assaults occurred. I didn't know they were nude. You don't have to be nude to be in a hot tub, do you? Would you meet me by the water, baby, we'll have a really good time. Would you meet me by the water, baby? Cause I can't get you. an area man for distracting him from tree frogs. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Local worshiper Dennis Hauckner was struck and killed by a lightning bolt thrown from the Lord Almighty today, shortly after interrupting the Lord with a long, rambling football-related prayer. According to God's spokesperson, Eric Peterson, the creator was tweaking the evolution of a near-extinct South American amphibian when Hauckner's prayer took him, quote, completely 
out of the zone. If you send uh, prayer after prayer over a, a, a college ball game, I mean, even the good Lord Almighty's infinite patience can be worn thin. Peterson warned believers around the world to take note that Saturday afternoons are to be respected forever as God's tree frog time. Well rested for the onion radio. Whenever God shine a light on me, open up my eyes so I can see. When I look up in the darkest night, then I know all right in deep confusion in great despair when I reach out for him he is there when I am lonely as I can be and I know that God shines his light on me alright there was another study done by the Baylor University and it indicates that 33 out of uh, one out of 33 women who attend church regularly are um, targeted by faith leaders. So think about that for a second. Do you understand that? Okay. If you got a church with a hundred women in it, okay, your church has hundred women. That means three of them have been hit on by their clergy. Okay, whether it's a reverend, a pastor, a rabbi, three out of a hundred, where the guy was like, "Hey, how you doing?" Okay, and, and made a move, and some of them successfully so. So, it, and it doesn't go back to the same point, which is, my God, man, if you think that the people who are telling you all about morality are moral, you're crazy. Okay, I, you almost want to, I mean, I hate to say this because it's not true in, definitely not in all cases, not even close, probably not true in most cases, but be wary. Don't just trust them, right? Because in so many cases, they're probably the least moral people. Do you, do you have that story of the woman who was, you know, who got hoodwinked big time? Yes, yes, yes. A uh, woman by the name of Carolyn, 42-year-old, had a relationship with her, uh, I, be, I believe it was her pastor, for um, about a decade. Mm -hmm. And he kept, and she's, and he's married, by the way. And he kept telling her, "Look, our relationship is ordained by God." Yeah. And she believed it, and she continued sleeping with him, right, for a decade. And uh, now she's so afraid to walk into a church. Like she's going through therapy and everything, and she says just seeing a church just makes her sick. Now, look, I'm gonna say something bad. I'm gonna be the bad guy here. Mm -hmm. She's a little dumb. Okay. Okay. No, but she is. Look, come on. Ordained by God. I know, I know. I know so many people fall for it. I know it, right? You but know why, though? Because some, I mean, think about these super religious people. Think about, you know, um, remember that institution or something that got found where all these little 14-year-old girls were made into wives. I forgot where it was, what state it was in. But anyway, people get brainwashed by religion all the time. So I can, com I can see this happening. It doesn't mean she's dumb. It just means that she believed so truly and deeply in, in her religion and the people that were her faith leaders. I can I see the comments in the emails now of the anti-religious people, mm -hmm. of which I'm secretly one, okay, saying, so not a secret. Anyway, mm -hmm. oh, if you believe in the magic sky god, right, and you believe he walks on water, and you believe that he turns, you know, whatever into fish and this into bread and that into wine, you're not going to believe that your minister is ordained by God to have sex with you? 
You've already bought into so right. many different things. I hear you on that. But then she takes, the reason I called her dumb is because she's afraid to walk into another church. I mean, okay. That I guy, would be afraid to walk into another church. No, but that guy took advantage of you, right? So what, you, as soon as you walk into another church, somebody else is going to be ordained to have sex with you, and then you're going to have to give it up again? According to the study, maybe. <laughs> Well, yeah, somebody else will probably hit on you, but don't give it up, okay? <laughs> don't don't believe the hype. I think she was married at the time or something. I don't know if she was married. I know he was married. Oh, he sure. was married. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, come on, come on. Don't don't believe the hype, okay? Mm -hmm. Be wary. You are my candy girl, and you got me. He's the author of The End of Faith and Letter to a Christian Nation, as well as the co-founder and chairman of The Reason Project. I've been wanting to meet this man for a long time. Sam Harris. Sam. Finally. Finally. <laughs> How you doing? I've uh, I followed your work closely, as you know, and I'm so glad you're here. And uh, you are a non-believer. Yes. And uh, I know people are going to kill. Oh, Bill, you're always having your non-believer friends on the show. I don't have that many friends who are non-believers. I wish I did. But when I have one, I like to first find out your background, your, your evolution. How did you get to that place? Because most people are raised religiously. So how did you get where you are? And what advice would you give to, to kids today who want to break into atheism? Well... <laughs> It's, uh, I mean, the, I started there, and that's kind of the point. Unless You did? Yeah, unless you're indoctrinated at some point early on, you tend, it's kind of like smoking. You tend not to pick it up later in life. I mean, there are exceptions to As that. As a child, you were an atheist? Well, I, I just was not. Atheism has no content. I mean, athe, being an atheist is like, it's like being a non-astrologer. You know, no one gets taught to be a non-astrologer. You just don't get convinced by astrology. So what and, were your parents? Uh, they, were, they were secular. I mean, I was, God was wow. just not talked about in the house. Oh, lucky you. Um, so, but, and in your book, uh, End of Faith, which I love, uh, you don't really use that word. Yeah, yeah. So, so what would you say to people who say, because I hear this all the time, then what do you believe? Well, I mean, the, as you say, the irony is I never use the word atheist in, in this book, which actually touched off this, this movement's mm -hmm. uh, so-called new atheism. Um, your the, book did. Yeah. The, I the thought atheist. it was me. Well, you were, you, uh, we collaborated. I'm, I'm sure I stole some of your lines. Um, <laughs> but the point is that atheism is not a belief system. It is the rejection of a certain right. style of dogma, and it's the dogmas of religion. And so every Christian is an atheist with respect to Islam. They're, just not, they're not convinced by the, the, the claim that the Quran is the perfect word of the creator of the universe. They're not losing any sleep over whether or not to convert to Islam. And an atheist is just someone who goes one God further and just does not accept any of these, these unsupported claims. 
Uh, and what do you say to people who, who say to people like us, you're just being mean? You know, because I hear this all the time, you know, you, religion, it gives comfort to people. Why don't you let them have that? Right. What, what is the answer to, to, to that and to, to convince people that, you know, that comfort comes at a price? Right, right. Well, there's, a, there's this idea that, that beliefs, religious beliefs can be kept separate and they don't, they don't need to intrude into public policy, into politics, into science. And it's just not true. Insofar as somebody actually believes something, it inevitably shows up in, in the world. I mean, the beliefs are the means to organize behavior and emotion. And so uh, presidents who really believe that uh, the book of Revelation is a guide to the end times could very well lead us into wars that, that, that conform to those, those bogus blueprints. Uh, and we have a, we have a Muslim a world that, that, that is lit up with notions of martyrdom and jihad. And these are beliefs, about, explicit beliefs, about how you get into paradise and, and, and what it's worth living for and dying for. But I hear, I can almost hear people out there saying, but that's not me. I'm right. a religious person, but I don't believe like George Bush did. I mean, there's a story in the press, I'm sure you've seen this recently, that uh, uh, George Bush told Jacques Chirac in 2003 that he went into, he was asking his help to go into Iraq because right. he said the right. biblical demons named Gog and Magog. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know about these demons, but I... Yeah, well, saw nobody it. does, as it turns out. Well, they're, they're in the book of Ezekiel yeah. and they're in the book of Revelations. But he said they were afoot in the Middle East. You know, what people say, well, that's not me. That's the, that's the, the extremist. Right. right. Well, it's not extreme. I mean, the, the issue there is that I mean, that should be horrifying to us, the, the Gog and Magog story, that, that those thoughts were rattling around Bush's head. But um, <laughs> it should be horrifying but not surprising because the evangelicals have been telling us for a century what they believe. Seventy percent of evangelicals think that the Bible is a literal word of the creator of the universe and that all of those prophecies are valid. Yes. And about 40% of Americans generally believe this. So it's not, it's not just a few people believing these things. 80% of Americans think that Jesus literally rose from the dead, will be returning to earth to raise the dead. Uh, Francis Collins, who's, a very, who's like the poster boy for sophisticated faith now. I mean, he's not a fundamentalist. He's, mm -hmm. he's you know, a scientist who's now running the NIH. Um, he believes... So wait, wait, he's... This is Obama's appointment. Yes. That's, that's set the table for people who don't know this story. I know who he is. Yeah. Francis Collins. He is a brilliant scientist. You can't deny that. He mapped the human well, genome. Yeah, right? well, he, he's, he, is a, he is often credited as a brilliant administrator, and he's, he, he collaborated with 2,500 scientists who, in part, mapped the human genome. I mean, the, the problem is that you can be a working scientist and still believe unsupportable religious bullshit because nobody challenges it. I mean, that's... that's... Oh, I know. We... <laughs> but, so, and Obama has appointed him to be the head of yes. the yes. NIH, which right. is the National Institutes of Health. Right. Now, for the person who says, well, so what? He obviously is a scientist who can work in the lab and do scientific right. work and separate that from his beliefs about the... Space God Carpenter. Yeah, but you, you can't actually separate these things because if you believe that, that uh, for instance, as he does, that morality it could not possibly have emerged out of evolution, that it, it can't really have its basis in the brain, but rather it had to be inserted by the hand of God at some point when we diverge from apes. I mean, he's written this, he believes this. Then, as someone funding neuroscience research, it, there's no reason to look for morality in, in biology and, and no reason to fund a study that would, that would explain its emergence out of the brain. 
uh, which most serious scientists studying morality uh, attempt to do. Um, your beliefs can't be kept set. We, we have one sphere of reality that we try to represent in our thoughts. And this is why we're, we've founded this, this foundation called the Reason Project, right. because we, we think it's a, it's a war of ideas that has to be prosecuted from many levels. You know, your level, I mean, you're on the advisory board, so someone, yeah. someone like yourself from the entertainment business, but also scientists like Steven Weinberg and Craig Venter to novelists like, like uh, Ian McEwan and Salman Rushdie. We have to come to this from many sides all at once because, because this is bigger than atheism. A reason is bigger than atheism. We have a, a problem of good ideas versus bad ideas. And the, the, the real double standard that we're suffering from is so, that religious bad ideas can't be criticized w with any so, energy. So answer me the, que the fundamental question that I posed at the beginning of Religious, which right. is how can people like Francis Collins, but not the, he's certainly not the only one. Um, no. We're, we're taping a show after this with Bill Moyers. Uh, I mean, I have unending respect for Bill Moyers right. as a brilliant man. He's also a Baptist minister. Jimmy Carter, you know, pretty bright. How, how do we reconcile someone who is so intelligent but who believes things which you and I think are incredibly childish and nonsensical? Right. Right. Do, we, well, do we say that it's a neurological disorder do they have, or do we just say... <laughs> I'm sorry, however brighter you are in the other field, you're a rube. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a social disorder. It's a conversational disorder. It's the fact that we can't apply enough pressure to these uh, ideas, and it's taboo to do so. And there's this fact that there, there is a, a core of truth to religion that we should be interested in. There's the fact that people do have transformative experiences. You know, if, if Jesus really was who they said he was, or Buddha likewise, it's possible, perhaps, to be the Tiger Woods of compassion. You know, it's, it's possible to really, to, to, to be someone who has transformed himself. And um, we should be interested in that. We should want to actualize that and, and understand it scientifically. But the problem is that it's so mired in religious mumbo-jumbo and, and superstition and taboo. And religion has seemed to be the only game in town in talking about that possibility. And we have to overcome that. I've been touched by that bright The smoke, it rises high, on crazy things. You're not asking if I love this man. I know you don't. You don't believe you can. Yet I've seen love open like a dancer's fan. It's crazy, I know. But my faith says so. Then members of the Republican base gathered in Washington, D.C. for the Values Voters Summit. It's an annual event where social conservatives can network, uh, condemn society's godlessness, and decide which candidate will come in third in next Republican primaries. By the way, <laughs> congratulations, Mike Huckabee. On the agenda, on the agenda, a chance to honor one of their own as Bill O'Reilly accepted an award in a ceremony that the media were barred from covering, which really would not have been uh, such a big deal, except that he was accepting the, uh, let me see if I have this right, Media Courage Award. <laughs> what? I'm very proud to accept this award for my courage. Ah, the camera! Right. 
Uh, let him do it. He's actually the most. He's actually the most reasonable person at that network. Yeah. Guess what? Deal with it. Of course, it being the Valuable Voters Summit, there were a lot of Christian speakers on the bill, uh, but there was also one uh, Jewish speaker. S see if you can spot him. Thanking and acknowledging God. 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 Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. It begins with Rosh Hashanah. opportunity to highlight the values that the Republican Party holds dear. And nobody did that better than Mike Schwartz, Chief of Staff to Senator Tom Coburn, and a man who knows how to grab your attention. It's been a few years, but not that many, since I was closely associated with pre-adolescent boys, boys who were 10 to 12 years of age. Go on. But it is my observation that boys at that age have less tolerance for homosexuality than just about any other class of people. They speak bad about homosexuals. And that's because they don't want to be that way. They don't want to fall into it. And that's a good instinct. Yeah. When did we lose that childlike sense of homophobia? Damn you, cruel world. <laughs> so if I'm hearing you correctly, we should all look to 11-year-old boys for guidance on social mores? I guess that's the reason for the party's new slogan, the GOP, we'll stick a firecracker up a frog's ass. <laughs> By the way, uh, not to bust your bubble there, but you know, there's one thing that 11-year-old boys like even less than homosexuality, and that's girls. <laughs> But that wasn't even the craziest part of this guy's speech. Homosexuality is inflicted on people. I had a very good friend uh, who, was, uh, who was in the homosexual lifestyle for a long time. And one of the things he said to me that I think is an astonishingly insightful remark. He said, all pornography is homosexual pornography. Because all pornography turns your sexual drive inwards. Sorry, I'm sure politicians give me a on. <laughs> Let me see if I can follow his logic here for, for just a moment. Uh, wow. Looking at these pictures really makes me want to touch my <laughs> Who's to say I wouldn't enjoy touching other people's I think I'll try it. <laughs> but the Value Voters Summit just points out the schism that is now taking place within the Republican Party. On one side, you have these hardline conservatives. They're against homosexuality. But then on the other side, you have the unbelievably flamboyant former House Majority Leader Tom DeLay.
That guy must watch a lot of porn. <laughs> Pardon me, everyone, and let me just expound for a moment on the virtues and benefits of a Best of the Left membership. First of all, it's the members that are helping to support this show and keeping it going strong twice a week. Without their support, the production schedule would absolutely have to be cut back. On top of that, members also receive the Best of the Left raw feed. This feed contains all of the clips that end up in the show, as well as some that don't make the final cut, and those clips that originally come from television or some other video source are delivered in their original video format. To become a member, simply go to the website at bestoftheleft.com and click the membership tab. Thanks so much for your support. When you think about some of the most powerful groups that influence our political system, the religious right will no doubt be on top of that list. No other group in history has been able to achieve what the religious right has done, no matter how many millions of dollars they pump into a politician. But as we've seen over the last few years, this movement has floundered because of frauds one by one being exposed as liars and hypocrites that they truly are. Because of this, the GOP has now become almost completely irrelevant. It's now being pushed further out of Washington with each new scandal that emerges. Joining me now to discuss how all this happened is Max Blumenthal, author of the new book, Republican Gomorrah. Max, you know, Eric Fromm got it right, didn't he? Uh, back when he wrote Escape from Freedom, and certainly it's still relevant today as we watch, uh, really when we, as we watch the right wing kind of burn down. I mean, it's, he, his predictions are pretty accurate, aren't they? They were, in, in a nutshell, what Eric Fromm was saying in 1941, after he fled the Nazi regime in Germany, in his book, Escape from Freedom, is basically that those who can't handle the burden of freedom and the pressures of an open society will inevitably turn authoritarian. But when they do that, it's not a solution to their personal problems. It inevitably leads to self-destruction. And what we've seen is a movement of people who've attempted that solution and taken over the Republican Party and projected their self-destructive impulses onto the party and thrown the party against itself. Your analysis, Max, as usual, is great. Thanks so much. <laughs> it really is good. It's, it's elegant the way you, you land this thing. But you start from the beginning. You've got a part of a segment of the American public that is willing to give up their personal freedom. They crave security. They crave this, this feeling of belonging that's rooted in their basic idea of, of wanting to be secure, I guess is the best way to put it. So all of a sudden they say, well, we're willing to allow you to tap our phones. We're willing to allow a strong central leader to lead us down whatever path it might be. Typically, it's going to be exactly what we're seeing right now, the, the wrong path. But we're willing to do all that because we're so uncomfortable with our ability to make these decisions ourselves. So the Christian right has bought into that completely, haven't they? They have. And also, I mean, if you saw my video from the 912 rally on the mall, I mean, there were just numerous people there who didn't have health insurance, but right. to be part of this movement so bad, they were willing to rally against getting <laughs> health insurance. Um, yeah, the, the the interview with the woman says she's unemployed, came in from someplace like Oregon or something, made the bus ride, paid for, of course, by corporate America, shows up in D.C., and she doesn't really have a dog in the fight. She's unemployed, doesn't have insurance, but she's willing to jump behind this new movement because it gives her a, a, a sense of belonging to something, no matter how weird it is. Belonging and, and euphoria of fighting evildoers. And what Fromm says is that uh, people 
who need to be lifted from the drudgery and trauma of their everyday lives uh, look for what he calls a magic helper, which is more than a leader. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a sort of ultra-strong authoritarian leader who provides them with symbols and drama um, mm-hmm. to give meaning to their lives. And that's, that's what people were looking for in George W. Bush, and it's how he advertised himself. To especially to the Christian right, it's what people look for um, in the in the you know Christian right movement um, in James Dobson, and it's reflected in the in the type of Jesus they worship. It's not the Prince of Peace they worship. It's a macho Jesus who appears in Mel Gibson's movies, and it's sort of a the Revelation Jesus. The Revelation, angry, violent Jesus. Yeah. You know, one thing that you can't miss, uh, Max, is, of course, every time you write something, you have that, that methodology where you just completely immerse yourself in the topic. Here, here what you did is you, you, you interviewed hundreds of Christian right leaders. You attended dozens of rallies, conferences, over hours and hours of radio, right-wing radio program, all movement-oriented uh, kinds of uh, settings that you exposed yourself to for how long, uh, I mean, before you did this? Well, I've been covering this movement for about six years, just all the factions of the right. And when you walked away from it, you had some very clear conclusions, and that is that the Jesus that has been embraced by this Christian right is a different kind of Jesus. I call it Revelation Jesus. You call it the Macho Jesus. What what is it about? What is it about that characterization that, first of all, is it does so much harm to Christianity, but but second of all, is so much a part of this uh, this new right wing movement that we see taking place in America? Well, it's a, an ultra-strong Jesus who lashes out at, at, at enemies. It's a Jesus that didn't really appear in most of the Bible and has been repackaged by people like Mel Gibson, who's a Catholic traditionalist. And he's been necessitated, this strong Jesus, by the weak men who worship him, like Tom DeLay, who used to be known as Hot Tub Tommy in Texas before he was converted by James Dobson into mm-hmm. the Hammer, this authoritarian radical Republican leader of uh, the Republican Congress, or Howard F. Amundsen, Jr. Yeah, good story. Tell us that story about Amundsen. Here's a kind of an eccentric millionaire, inherited incredible wealth, and goes crazy, had to be institutionalized. Well, throughout my, my book, you're just going to see stories of people who couldn't, couldn't handle their lives in secular society and turn to this macho Jesus, and Howard F. Amundsen was one of them. He uh, inherited eight, uh, $300 million at the age of 18 from his father, who founded Washington Mutual. Right. And he promptly, literally went insane and spent two years in the Menninger Clinic, a mental institution. And when he came out, he the only way he was able to stabilize his life and his sanity was through born-again Christianity and through the teachings of an extreme theocrat, named R.J. Rush Dooney, mm-hmm. who became his surrogate father, and in, in an exchange, Amundsen became Rush Dooney's financial angel. And, and that ties in perfectly with the whole theory of what you're saying here. Eric Fromm got it right with a guy like, well, Ted Haggard. He got it right with a person like Haggard, got it right with a person like George Bush, got it right with Tom DeLay, didn't he? He got it right with all of them, and we should also point out that Amundsen funded Prop 8, the uh, anti-gay ballot initiative right. in California, so he's really important. Um, and, you know, it's just consistent throughout the Christian right and, and the right. Um, I, I would say he even got it right with Glenn Beck, who I didn't write about in my book, but who I've been learning about because I've been uh, working on a, a piece on him. You know, this is a guy who was um, addicted to cocaine and al- alcohol um, in his 30s and was trying to be the next Howard Stern. He was like some low-level rock and roll DJ in Connecticut. Right, right. And his wife leaves him. His career falls apart. 
and he finds Mormonism yes. and conservatism when he never had any politics before. Has, str- has literally struggled with bipolar. I mean, that, that's. I mean, you don't have to say that. I'll, I'll say it. If you take a look at this whole picture of Glenn Beck, he is the perfect candidate for what Eric Fromm was talking about. This person who's got to have a neat little world that makes sense, and and, that, and, and that's what you're saying about Glenn Beck. We and we can keep going on Michael Savage, who used to be known as Michael Weiner, um, right? Who uh, claimed he would go around, uh, you know, San Francisco, claiming that he had had bisexual experiences now um, after he said he went crazy in the jungle in the amazon jungle he shows up in san francisco as this right-wing gay bashing radio host mm-hmm. and and essentially what he's doing is a form of of therapy he's medicating his his personal crisis and his anxiety behind a microphone in a radio studio by lashing out at the people who represents what he most hates about himself so what we see in all the figures in my book are people who when they try to cleanse the land of sin are actually attempting to cleanse their own souls that was just a dream A benign growth recently removed from Pope Benedict's head is now blessing things on its own. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. An operation to remove a harmless tumor from Pope Benedict XVI stunned the world's Catholics today when the mass of rapidly growing cells began sanctifying small objects on its own. Papal surgeon Dr. Vishnu Patel called the inspiring ounce of mutated flesh a modern-day miracle. This charismatic ball of tissue could become more popular than the Pope himself. Thousands of the faithful gathered today in Vatican Square to witness the rapidly developing piece of their spiritual leader as it waved to them from a jewel-encrusted bucket. Doyle Redland for The Onion Radio Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift, the baffled king composing James Dobson, uh, you really focus well on James Dobson in your book, and I, I think what what 
is so clear is you have this character, nothing more really than a child psychologist that said, you know, if we beat the hell out of our children, if we beat them into submission, then they're going to have more respect for God. Dobson creates this following. I mean, he's nothing more. I mean, he's a psychologist for God's sakes. No, you know, no real training beyond what you'd get in a regular psychology background. But all of a sudden he becomes kind of the 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 focus for this new this whole evangelical right wing movement how'd that happen? Yeah, yeah. The reason I focus on Dobson, or there are two reasons. One is that he's the most powerful, even though he's pretty old. He's the most powerful figure in the Christian right still, uh, mainly because his political empire is so powerful. And number two, because he's cultivated the sensibility of the movement that controls the Republican Party, and he's done it not through politics, but by. Uh, understanding this world of personal crisis behind the politics. Mm. In other words, he understands Eric Fromm. He understands Fromm, but from a different angle. His correspondence department is so large, he handles so much, so many letters and phone calls, it has its own zip code in Colorado Springs. But when people are entered into his database, they get bombarded with political mailings telling them that it's the homosexual agenda or liberals or federal judges that are responsible for their problems. And his radio show, which is one of the top five radio shows in the country, functions the same way. And so by, um, you know, cultivating these people who have come to him for help as Republican shock troops, he's managed to alter the character of the Republican Party, cast out the moderates. The Bob Doles, the Colin Powells, right. the, in, 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 in the process, raises who? The DeLays, the George Bushes? Uh... And DeLay was his guy. I mean, yeah. he even yeah. set DeLay against Newt Gingrich because the contract for America wasn't, you know, didn't mention the homosexual agenda and abortion. And he used DeLay to destroy Gingrich, who is in the process of having, you know, an affair with his now third wife. But but it goes bad for Dobbs, and I mean, and you point that out. I mean, they plunge into uh, they plunge in this 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 crazy mania uh, with you know we begin with Ralph Reed, begin with Tom Delay, all of the Larry Craig, Ted Haggard. These are all Dobson guys. These are all Dobson handpicked kind of people that are supposed to represent this new vision that Dobson has of what the Republican Party is supposed to look like. It all ends up in scandal, doesn't it? Yeah, and all these conflicted figures that Dobson has supposedly, you know, helped repair actually have no conscience because, you know, they're just relying on a cheap form of self-medication. And as we know, cheap self-medication doesn't work. So Ted Haggard's uh, homosexuality that he had attempted to repress his own, his own life, his whole life by... Uh, worshiping uh, this Jesus figure who really looks like Fabio of Nazareth. Yeah, it looks nothing like the looks nothing like the Beatitudes Jesus. It looks nothing like the Jesus that I, you know, that I and so many Christians believe had the right uh, solution with the Sermon on the Mount. It looks nothing well, like is, that. You know, well, let me I, let me ask you this, Max. Okay, where, where are we now with all this? You you have you had Dobson try to take on uh well, you know, take on Mitt Romney because I suppose Mitt Romney's a Mormon and, you know, uh, worships somebody on planet Golob. But then you so so then you have the what emerges is the McCain candidacy. Not that the Christian right wanted McCain, but they had to have McCain. And they end up actually doing huge harm to the Republican movement by saying we must have Sarah Palin, don't they? Yeah, in my book, Republican Gomorrah, I talk about how Sarah Palin was the only logical candidate for the Republican Party in the enthrall of the Christian right. Uh, as 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 bizarre and dis- self-destructive and uninformed and anti-intellectual as she seemed to many Americans, she was the only logical candidate of a, of a party that was sort of controlled by Dobson. And as soon as 
McCain named her, Dobson gave his full-throated support to John McCain, a figure who he detested. And so this, this leads to where we're going. It was the Palin rallies where the hatred and the resentment and the violent rhetoric that were seen. Pure racism. I mean, racism in its truest sense. You know. Yeah, you can even call it that. That's where it began, the Palin rallies. And it's, it's extended you know, into the 9-12 movement and into this kind of amorphous movement that we can't even track that has very little leadership and that I think is dangerous to the point that we need to reflect on what happened at the Oklahoma City Federal Building in 1995 after Newt Gingrich shut down the federal government and an anti-government right-wing terrorist um, attacked a symbol of the federal government. I think you'd conclude that what the Republican Party's left with is uh, is a deep south, regional, evangelical, purely white, abstinence-only, anti-abortion, anti-homosexuality, angry, resentful bunch of lunatics that happened to show up in Washington, D.C. last week. Is Absolutely. that pretty accurate? Yeah, the, the, you know, the Deep South is the last siege tower of their shattered electoral fortress. But at the same time, these people are being led to believe that they that there were two million of them out there yeah. instead of 50,000. And that the only thing stopping them from really taking back the country, even though they're sort of a minority now, are these, um, you know, as a cabal of liberal elites plotting against them somewhere. And yeah. that just uh, adds to their anger and fuels the resentment even more. Max, give me, uh, you know, your political opinions are well-respected everywhere. Tell me, what is your 30-second uh, uh, observation about where all this ends? Uh, I, I mean, I, as I said before, it could, it, it's very dangerous, and it could end badly. Um, you know, what, what we saw with the militia right in the 90s has moved into – uh, the Republican mainstream through figures like James Dobson and Glenn Beck, and it's hard to it's hard to know where it goes. But I I see a movement that's dying, and when a movement is dying, they're desperate. They become desperate and extremely dangerous. results from its new poll of residents of the great state of New Jersey. The poll found that 18% of New Jersey conservatives say they are sure that President Obama is the Antichrist. No questions asked. Another 17% of New Jersey self-identified conservatives say they just aren't sure, but they're not willing to rule it out. What do you think the White House strategy is going to be to rebut the fact that more than one in three conservatives think the president might be the Antichrist, at least in New Jersey? That is a PR challenge. 
Joining us now is Frank Schaefer. He grew up in the religious far right. He's the author of Crazy for God, How I Grew Up as One of the Elect, Helped Found the Religious Right, and Lived to Take All or Almost All of It Back. Mr. Schaefer, thank you so much for coming back on the show tonight. Thanks for having me on. I do not know what possessed this polling firm to ask whether or not people think the president is the Antichrist, but they did. Um, does the response rate among conservatives surprise you? More than one in three saying yes or they don't know. Well, I was a child when President Kennedy was assassinated, and my mother thought that because he died of a head wound foretold in Scripture, of the Antichrist, he would be resurrected as the Antichrist. She thought this might be a possibility. So those of us who come from the evangelical subculture have been weaned with our mother's milk on a changing cast list of villains. Um, it might be Kennedy to one generation, Obama to the next. But I think the, the larger point this brings up is that the mainstream, not just media, but culture doesn't sufficiently take stock of the fact that within our culture we have a subculture which is literally a fifth column of insanity that is bred from birth through homeschool, Christian school, evangelical college, whatever, to reject facts as a matter of faith. And so this substitute for authentic historic Christianity, and I may add as a little caveat here, I'm a church-going Christian, uh, really brings up the question, can Christianity be rescued from Christians? And that's an open question. And when you see a bunch of people going around thinking that our president is the Antichrist, you have to draw one of two conclusions. Either these are racists looking for any excuse to level the next accusation, or they're beyond crazy. And I think beyond crazy is a better explanation. And uh, that evangelical subculture has rotted the brain of the United States of America. We have a big slice of our population waiting for Jesus to come back. They look forward to Armageddon. Good news is bad news to them. Uh, when we talk about the Left Behind series of books uh, that I talk about in my book, Crazy for God, uh, what we're really talking about is a group of people who are resentful because they know they've been left behind by modernity, by science, by education, by art, by literature. The rest of us are getting on with our lives. These people are standing on a hilltop waiting for the end. And this is a dangerous group of people to have as neighbors, and they're our national neighbors. And this is the source of all these insanities that we see leveled at the president. One way or another, they go back to this little evangelical subculture. Uh, it's a disaster. It, it is one thing, though, to think about these as almost cultish views, to think about these as views that are on the fringes of, of, of beyond the edge of mainstream Christianity. It's another thing to look at the, 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 the numbers. I mean, in this, in this same poll, the numbers are also really high on the question of whether or not the president was born in the United States. 61% of McCain voters in New Jersey expressing doubt that Obama is American, saying he definitely wasn't born in the U.S. or they're not sure. The birther thing has been disproven. The Antichrist thing is, it's a whole other kettle of fish. But how do you work to move people off of that position. It doesn't seem like facts are relevant in trying to move people away from these beliefs. You don't work to move them off this position. You move past them. Look, a village cannot reorganize village life to suit the village idiot. It's as simple as that. And we have to understand, we have a village idiot in this country. It's called fundamentalist Christianity. And until we move past these people, and let me add, as a former lifelong Republican, until the Republican leadership has the guts to stand up and say it would, better, it would be better not to have a Republican party than have a party that caters to the village idiot, uh, there's going to be no end in sight. 
The next thing they'll do is accuse Obama of being the Antichrist, and then who knows what comes next. On and on it goes. There is no end to this stuff. Why? Because this subculture has as its fundamentalist faith that they distrust facts per se. They believe in a young earth, 6,000 years old, with dinosaurs cavorting with human beings. They think that whether it's economic news or news from the Middle East, it all has to do with the end of time and Christ's return. This is la-la land. And the Republican Party is totally enthralled to this subculture to the extent that there is no Republican Party. There is a fundamentalist subculture which has become a cult. It's fed red meat by buffoons like Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, and other people who are just not terribly bright themselves and they are talking to even stupider people. That's where we're at. That's where all this is coming from. And it's becoming circular. It's becoming a joke, unfortunately a dangerous joke, because once in a while one of these Looney Tunes, as we see, brings guns to public meetings. Who knows what they do next? It's a serious thing we all have to face, but the Democrats and sane Americans just have to move past these people, say, go wait in the hilltop for the end. The rest of us are going to get on with rebuilding our country. Mr. Schaefer, briefly, is, is there anybody on the right who could be constructive here if they wanted to be? To the extent that people could be moved off of these conspiracy theories and I understand your point that they not not it's not true that all of them could be but is there anybody who could believe, could be influential to try to stop the impact of these conspiracies look in the year 2000 I worked for John McCain to try to get him elected in the in the primaries instead of George Bush but John McCain sold out by nominating Rachel Palin uh, Sarah Palin who comes directly from the heart of this movement and carries with her all that baggage so he sold out I don't see anybody on the Republican side of things these days who has the moral standing to provide real leadership or who will risk their position to do so. Go tell that long-tongued liar, go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell them that God's gonna cut them down, tell them that God's gonna cut them down. Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news. My head's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knee, talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me with a voice so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels sweet. He called my name and my heart stood still. When he said, John, go do my will. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him that God's gonna cut him down, tell him that God's gonna cut him down. We all know the liberals hate our most sacred holidays. Case in point, our leftist school administrators have transformed Easter break into spring break. Hey. If Jesus had wanted us to spend Good Friday in Cancun, at the Last Supper, he would have served jello shots. <laughs> well, I say it's never too early to keep the agnostics at bay. So tonight, we're fighting back with a special September edition of Easter Under Attack. <laughs> This is Shay Burdick, victim of religious discrimination. I'm targeted, I was a victim. Shay was evicted from her apartment just because she loves Jesus. 
It all started last Easter when Shay decorated her apartment door with a timeless symbol of the resurrection. I made a piece, a four-story pyramid, triangle pyramid of peep, purple, yellow, green peeps. Yes, peeps, the most delicious symbol of our salvation. But evidently, Shay's landlord, the Aimco Corporation, hates Easter. Nine days after I put up the decorations, I, I get a phone call that just says um, that I need to remove my Easter decorations because they're not allowed because hallways are considered common space and common ground. They either comply and take down my decorations or they would take possession of my apartment. When she refused, her peeps were torn down. I feel victimized, of course. But now, Shea Burdick has an angel on her side. Her lawyer, John Pinot. He knows what this case is really about. By declaring war on peeps, they have declared war on Easter. Pinot's defense is based on a simple legal precedent. Peeps are not garbage. We contacted AIMCO for a rebuttal. Their spokesman, Cindy Duffy, released this statement. This is a case about one of our residents who mailed food, sugary sweets, to her apartment door. Absolutely untrue. I mean, they're sticky things. You know, so all I needed was a couple of just little push pins. Again, Cindy Duffy. The food had to be removed to maintain sanitary and healthy conditions. In other words, they were having them removed because they were, quote, garbage. That's what their notice says. But if peeps are garbage... By calling peeps garbage, you do, it, you do risk uh, saying that Jesus Christ is garbage. 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 AIMCO says Jesus Christ is garbage. They haven't formally called Jesus garbage. Close enough. And John Pinot is prepared to take this case to the highest court in the land. Probably should, yeah. This case could absolutely go all the way to the Supreme Court. It has a lot of important issues in it. Like Shea Burdick's religious rights. Ms. Burdick is very religious, and uh, the holiday of Easter is a very important holiday to her. It's sacred. Not my favorite, no. I love Halloween. Who doesn't? But this case is about Easter. This case is about freedom. This case is about marshmallow peeps. And there's only one word for cases like that. The one word I'd use to describe this case is uh, stupid. Now, they're going to talk about their Dove World Outreach Center. Mm. Uh, so this is, oh, and this is Pastor Terry Jones. This is their dove. pastor. Dove. What kind of dove is this? Yeah. It's a dove with an AK-47. Exactly. So this is their Pastor Terry Jones for the Sapp family. Let's watch. I mean, do you feel this is First Amendment protected speech? I mean, I, yes, we do. Of course we do that. Yes. I mean, it's yes. on a yes. school campus, too. I mean, I know that it's not supposed to have... 
you know, anti-religious messages against other people, messages against someone else's religious beliefs on school grounds. Yeah, we feel that, that it's still within the, our constitutional rights, yeah, because we are, um, according to our, I believe, teachings in America, we are still considered a Christian nation. No. And what we are <laughs> propagating there or saying are actual Christian beliefs. So The front part of the t-shirt says that Jesus Christ is the only way. That is actually what every Christian believes. Uh, and the back of the t-shirt is a result of the front of the t-shirt. Do you feel the no, it's not. <laughs> wide variety of Christian denominations agree with you that Islam is evil? Yes, they would have to, or they would not be Christian. As I said, and you can read the Bible verse, the Bible verse there is something that Jesus himself quoted, said he is the only way. Uh, that there is no other way to the Father, no other way to heaven, no other way to forgiveness of sins. So, of course, any, any organization, any denomination, whether it be Baptist or Methodist, Pentecostal, they would have to believe that, or they would, of course, not be Christian. Obviously, they would have to believe this. I got this figured out. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Evil. Yeah. Uh, I like that he's like, it's, it's in the, he's like, yeah, no, it's constitutionally protected speech. He's obviously, look, that is an argument. I got it. And, and again, outside of school grounds, I don't think there's any question. It's a very easy case to resolve constitutionally. But of course, these are the, it's in the Constitution. No question it's in our constitutional rights because we're a Christian nation. Like, he doesn't even, like, he can't even, can't even follow that argument through to its end because he's got to lose himself in the Christian nation. I can't remember what article of the Constitution that is. You know, this reminds me of the thing, story we did yesterday, motivated reasoning. His conclusion is we're a Christian nation, uh, so he doesn't really care how we got there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so, and his lack of logic is almost legendary here. <laughs> I know he's not attached to logic, but he's like, well, if Jesus is the only way, then obviously everyone else must be evil. Yeah, obviously that makes total sense. Um, <laughs> I'm like, what, is it possible that Jesus is the only way? And I respect that point of view. I don't agree with it, obviously, but I respect it. Uh, and that other people are not evil? Yeah, right. It's, uh, but also, he's like, you know, they're you know, Pentecostal, uh, Baptist, uh, Methodist. I mean, if they're Christians, obviously that's the only, but Jesus is evil. I mean, uh, uh, Islam is evil. So just by the way, so his T-shirt could say Judaism is evil. His T-shirt could say Hinduism is evil. His T-shirt could say Buddhism is evil. Of course. Of course. And, he, and I'm sure he th does think that. Now, I happen to be agnostic. <laughs> I no, could, that's evil. Right. No, no, but I'd love the T-shirt where I'm like, I, agnostics rock or whatever, right. and in the back, um, you all are evil. Right, Christianity is oh, evil. Hindus and... are evil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is so random? It right. doesn't make any sense. By the way, if they had a t-shirt that said agnostics are evil, uh, would I be offended by it? Which is a different question. Hell no. I'd be amused by it. Yeah, right. Okay, oh, okay, really. Oh, we're of the devil. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, well, but, you're of a mental hospital, so, okay. Right, I mean. of course, and I understand why you would find it amusing, and you would probably find it amusing if it said Islam is evil, which it did. But we, you know, uh, the, the, whatever it is, the 12 million, 10 million, how many million uh, Muslims in the United States? Uh, that's a good question. I forget now. I think it's in that range. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, aren't exactly fully accepted. I mean, they're, you yeah. know, I mean, so it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a, there, there's an issue in America, and that's a problem, and she can't wear that t-shirt, and he's a bad father, he's an unfit parent, and it'd be nice if the state came away and took his kids. <laughs> okay, I definitely wouldn't go that far. No? Too, too much? <laughs> a little too much. All right, final thought on it is, hey, look, if you are Muslim, 
Uh, if they attack you for being Muslim, that's unacceptable. But if they attack your religion, have a little thick skin. Because, and I, it's easy for me to say because I attack your religion from time to time, even though I was born Muslim. Because if you believe in something, have the courage of your convictions. Don't worry about what I say. Don't worry about what they say. Okay? You don't have to get so offended by it. Okay, they believe crazy things, and you believe what well, you we, think we, we, no, we don't even know what the Muslim reaction is. I mean, I'm Of course, there was a lot of people who were terribly, terribly offended. I get it. I get there why they're offended. And partly because of the reasons that Ben said. But real, minority. real quick, though, it's not just being offended. I mean, again, we don't have a right in this country not to be offended, and that's something that I think we need to repeat and remind ourselves every day. There's no protection against being offended. Get offended. Get mad. Don't get offended. Don't get mad. React to it. But you can't just get offended and expect people to come to your defense because you were offended. Uh, this is more than offense. This is an attack. And this should make, if you're, uh, to me, if you're Muslim, it shouldn't make you offended. It should make you angry and worried. And I would do something about it, particularly at a school. Thanks for listening, everybody. So here we are. We're right down to the wire. The podcast awards are just about to start. In fact, for many of you, by the time you hear this, they will have started. The nomination process officially begins at 9 p.m. Eastern time on October 4th. So what I'm going to do right now is go ahead and preemptively apologize for about the next month or so of the podcast awards. This whole event is... A marathon every year it's not a sprint it's a marathon so we got to dig in and talk about it every show remind everyone to nominate the show and then later we'll get into the voting process so I just apologize ahead of time for the sheer amount that I have to be talking about it in the coming shows so let's get started the nominations open and here here are the baseline rules you can only nominate shows once so don't go in and try to do it every day or add your name multiple times. Don't do it. It's bad news. You'll get disqualified. We'll get disqualified. No good can come of it. So when you go, it's real easy. You just decide which shows you want to nominate for which categories. So all you need is the name of the show. Easy. The website of the show. Bestofleft.com. Easy. Your name. A verifiable email address. And then leave comments about the show when you do the nomination. If you like a show enough to nominate it, go ahead and take a couple of extra seconds and tell the review board why you're nominating it. it that, that really does work into the calculation of how shows get nominated. So now let me move on to the, the official Best of Left Voter's Guide. So for this show, it's easy. Nominate Best of Left for two categories. So what I'm asking is that you nominate this show for Best Produced and the politics category. Now beyond that, for those of you who are interested, I want you to help out the Young Turks. This is the first year I personally wrote to them and encouraged them to get involved in the podcast awards this year. I'm a fan of their show. I've been a longtime supporter of theirs. They are regularly featured in this show, as you are undoubtedly aware. And so I encourage them to get involved. I want them to do well. I want them to win awards. And so they're excited about it. They're going to work on it themselves. They're going to work on their own audience to do it. Many of you, of course, are members of their audience now. But I also promise to do my part. So I'm encouraging you, 
whether you're a full-time listener of the Young Turks or not, to know that they are you know, another great progressive radio show out there. They have a podcast. They're involved in the podcast awards and are, are pushing it themselves. And I want to add whatever kind of strength we can muster to their campaign. So for the Young Turks, I'm asking that you nominate them for the People's Choice Award. This is another one of the big umbrella categories. It would be the big prize that they're going for. They'll also be working to be nominated in the politics category, but trust me, they don't need help in the politics category. If, by the way the system is set up, you feel like you can make multiple nominations to a single category, then by all means, do so. Go ahead and nominate Best of Left as well as the Young Turks for the politics category. Just frankly, I don't know how it's set up yet. It's possible that you can only type in all your shows and hit nominate once, and then you're done. That's kind of the way they're making it sound. So if that is the case, nominate, again, going down the list, Best of the Left for Best Produced, and the Best of the Left for the Politics category, and then also the Young Turks for the People's Choice Award. And all of that is happening at podcastawards.com. Okay, so that's enough for today. That's the big breakdown, and I'll be continuing to go over this over and over again until you're all sick to death of it. Now, finally, I just want to wrap up by thanking a couple of members, and we have an all-star cast of members. Uh, first of all, I want to finally thank our very first member ever, Bryant H., who signed up about six months before the memberships existed. He signed up on January 7th, months and months and months before anybody else, and he just signed up because he saw on the donation page that there was an option for a recurring donation, and there was no talk of memberships, there was no talk of uh, extra benefits that the members get now, and he just signed up to be extra supportive. So actually, in kind of a goofy way, I intended to thank Bryant on the 300th episode, just because... You know, whatever. He's the first member, which is awesome. 300th episode. It's kind of cool. I thought it would make sense. And then I forgot. But it makes sense today because we needed to have a really great member to talk about being Bryant, the first member. Uh, we really needed a great one to counterbalance the second one I'm going to mention. This is one of our brand new members just signed up on September 27th. And, well, I'm going to apologize in, in advance to the guy because... You know, maybe you get this kind of BS all the time and you're tired of it, but I, I, I love his name. I got the email notifying me that he had signed up, and I saw his last name is God Bolt. And I thought, that's got to be the most awesome name I've ever heard. And the very first thing I thought of was, of course, Thor, with the thunder and the lightning. I mean, what, of course, what else could you possibly think of when you hear God Bolt? And I look down in the email from, from PayPal that notifies me of his address as well, and I think, no, this couldn't be. He can't possibly live on a street named Norway. Are you kidding me? Mr. Godbolt lives on Norway, you know, street or road or avenue or whatever. I mean, he's either the reincarnation or he did this on purpose, or it's completely awesome. In any case... It reminded me of something and has given me the opportunity to give all of you one last bonus clip that just couldn't fit any better with this and the theme of today's show. 
The Viking god Odin is down to his last four worshippers. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Odin, the supreme ruler of the Norse gods, admitted to reporters today that he is now nearly out of believers. Once the most powerful god in the world, Odin traces his decline in popularity to the year 1654 when valiant deaths fell out of fashion. I have the mightiest spear. All should worship me. Odin says he hopes an upcoming Playboy pictorial on the girls of Valhalla will boost membership. Noel Redland for The Onion Radio News, online at theonion.com. So now that is it for today. Stay connected with the show on Twitter and Facebook, as well as by signing up for our email newsletter. You can support the show with reviews in iTunes, votes at Podcast Alley, which I'm not really going to promote this month because, of course, what I really want is nominations and votes at the podcast awards. And you can fill out our listener survey, uh, give us feedback about the show, which is linked up at the website. You can listen to the show on your smartphone without syncing to your computer by visiting stitcher.com. And you can visit the show notes to get all the details on the sources and the music used in this episode at our blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway and border, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast delivered to you every Wednesday and every weekend, thanks to our members from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white, you took a part of picture that wasn't right. Pitch burning on a shining sheet, the only maker that you want to meet. Diamond in a living room, the shadow bases the floor.